glad you are able to worship with us from your homes. There's still a place for you if you are able to get out. We're making our way here. So we're glad you're with us. We even have people in the front row. <laughs> That's going some. And hopefully it is this way across our nation and around the world. Whatever the type of church, whatever tree they meet under, home they meet in, cathedral they meet in, may it be filled. May people return to worship God together. God has made us his body. We are parts of one body. We need each other. That's a commercial. (laughs) I want to thank the one woman who's wearing an Easter bonnet. (laughs) At a girl. Behind the mask and under the brim. I think I know who it is, but I won't make a mistake. (laughs) Thank you that you're all comfortable. Thank you that you are wanted to be here. When we started Lent uh, six Sundays ago, we began with the story of creation, that God created us to love us. It's the greatest love story in the world. And we proceeded through the stories of God's humans made in his image, turning away, disobeying, disrespecting, disbelieving. And God sent them away to live east of Eden. And God struggled with them. A story of a certain group that he called to be his people, to be a a model for the world. We went through 2,000 years of God's history until the resurrection. And that brings us to this glorious morning We will read a scripture lesson from one of the accounts of the gospel telling the story of the resurrection as our congregations across the world this day together. Before we read it, let us pray and ask God to help us understand it, always. Loving God, we do bow before you. Before we read what you have caused to be written. We thank you for loving us so much that you made us in your image, that you might speak with us and we might speak with you, that you might love us and we might love you. We thank you for your mercy and steadfast love from generation to generation as you continue to call us back to yourself. We thank you for speaking to us through so many voices in your history. We thank you for causing some of them to write down your words for us. We thank you for those who translated your word from one language to another. We thank you for those who studied your word to share it with all of us. We thank you, Lord, that you give us your spirit to live within us to understand what you have caused to be written, 
what you have spoken. Help us this morning to understand this passage and this amazing event in the midst of your love for us. We make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us listen to God's word for us this morning through the gospel according to Luke, chapter 23, verse 50, through chapter 24, verse 12. Sounds like a lot of chapters, but not too much. Beginning in 2350. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph, who though a member of the council had not agreed to their plan and action, he came from the Jewish town of Arimathea, and he was waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and laid it in a rock-hewn tomb where no one had ever laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him, that's Jesus, not Joseph, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed, and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath day they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but they went in. They did not find the body. They were perplexed about this. Suddenly, two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he still was in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven, And to all the rest, now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. But how can we trust Luke? How can we trust Mark or Matthew or John? This is an amazing thing. How can we Trust God for his word. The reliability of Luke, the beloved physician, has given us some clues. Luke reported what the disciples saw in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus woke them up. 
the night before he was taken, the night he was taken prisoner. It's in Luke twenty-two forty-four. In his anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling on the ground. What was that that Luke was writing? They did not know at that time. It seems like an imagery that was not true. But today we know that it is a medical phenomenon called hematidrosis. It is triggered by extreme stress, very extreme stress. It is very rare. In this state, the subcutaneous blood vessels rupture into the exocrine sweat glands, causing the sweat to look like drops of blood. This condition was unknown in the first century. This story could not have been made up. But Luke's account of the death and resurrection of Jesus is accompanied by four other written descriptions by eyewitnesses. Mark, who wrote the story that Peter remembered. Matthew and John, also disciples of Jesus. And finally, by Paul, who gave us the first written list of the resurrection appearances of Jesus in his letter to the church in Corinth, about 55 A.D. The Gospels that were written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John did not begin to appear to us until 65 and 70 and on up to 90. Here are the amazing words Paul wrote about this resurrection. From 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. Paul gave a partial list, but the other four writers gave us the details of the resurrection appearance, appearances of Jesus, not to mention all the accounts of his birth and ministry, his life and death. And these remarkable witnesses have been copied, translated, studied, debated, disbelieved, and passionately trusted to change millions of lives and whole nations for the past 2,000 years. We are here this morning and every Easter morning in great part because of their faithful and costly testimony about the resurrection of Jesus. There could have been no resurrection, though, without the crucifixion. And the death of Jesus resulted in his burial. Suddenly, 
a new name entered the story, a man named Joseph. And all four gospel accounts tell his story. He was from the Jewish town of Arimathea, a rich man, a respected man, a good and righteous man, who was waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God. He was a member of the ruling Jewish council, the Sanhedrin. But he had not agreed to their plan and action that produced the crucifixion of Jesus. Mark wrote that this Joseph of Arimathea went boldly to Pilate to ask for the body of Jesus. And he laid Jesus in his own tomb in a garden close to where Jesus was crucified. This tomb was cut out of rock, and no one had been buried in it yet. This, Jews, this Joseph was like that first Joseph about 18 centuries before, and both of them were prepared by God to serve a great purpose that had lasting consequences. Three things made Joseph of Arimathea uniquely suited for what he did. Only someone as respected as Joseph could have gained access to Pilate, and only Pilate could permit this crucified man to be removed from his cross before his decaying corpse could horrify the people for days. Only someone with Joseph's wealth could build a tomb of that size in that location, which enabled a quick burial. Only 2% of thousands of ancient tombs of Judea, studied by archaeologists, had entrances large enough to require a round stone to seal them. All other tombs were small. You had to crawl to get in them. A small square stone could be set there. Tombs and ossuaries worked together. As a side note, in the centuries around the time of Christ, in Israel, bodies were laid quickly in tombs to decay. A year or two later, the bones were collected and placed in ossuaries, those small stone boxes engraved with the person's name. That ossuary box was then placed on the floor of those larger tombs that you could walk into so that the next family body could be laid on the shelf. Joseph of Arimathea was well known by opponents of Jesus, and his tomb was easily available for those opponents to have produced the decaying body with its wounds. But they could not, for it was empty. The evidence for the resurrection of Jesus begins with the empty tomb, but it became undeniable with the multiple appearances of the resurrected Jesus to many followers. A fabricated story in the first century Jerusalem 
would never have invented a group of women as the first key witnesses. Women suffered great disrespect in that first century. Three of them are named here in Luke's account as well as the other three accounts of the gospel. Mary Magdalene, the woman who was delivered from seven demons, her life was such horrible disarray. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, who was the chief steward for King Herod. And finally, Mary, mother of James and John, two of the twelve apostles. Even the male disciples did not believe the women. None of the disciples, male or female, expected Jesus to rise from death as he had told them multiple times before he entered Jerusalem. The third body of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus has been the changed lives of those who believed in him. That literally began with Joseph of Arimathea, who kept his belief in Jesus a secret until he saw the death of Jesus, as did Nicodemus. The death and resurrection of Jesus dramatically changed both followers and opponents of Jesus, such as the man Saul of Tarsus, who later we know as Paul, the great apostle of Christ. The death of Christ solved our problem of sin. The resurrection of Christ solved our problem of death. The death of Christ qualified us for eternal life in the kingdom of God. The resurrection of Christ assured us that we will inherit the kingdom of God and that we are of such value to God that we would live with God forever. The resurrection of Jesus transformed our physical death from an absolute end to an amazing new beginning. Listen to these familiar verses you have heard many times, especially at funerals or memorial services. According to the Apostle John, Jesus said these words to his disciples following that last supper the night before he was crucified. In chapter 14, verse 1 of John's account of the gospel story of Jesus, John wrote, do not let your, John wrote that Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. But what was Jesus saying to them and to us? What is that place he told them he would prepare for them? Did they think of dwelling places or rooms like we do? Maybe mansions like the King James Version says, yeah, that's what we'd rather think, yep. 
No, I think the emphasis is on preparing us for that place rather than the place for us. I think Jesus was referring to where he was going that very next morning, to the cross, where he would make us fit for the place. And when he appeared to them that third day, that was him coming again to take you to myself, to embrace us so that where he is, we will be also. As Kristen comes to sing and the singers prepare to sing, let me close with this. The disciple Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Oh, the place with Jesus is with the Father. In his resurrection appearances, Jesus came to take them to himself. On that Pentecost morning, seven weeks later, Jesus came again to take them to himself. When we put our faith in him, Jesus took us or takes us to himself. At his second coming, Jesus comes again and will take all others to himself. Jesus has made a place for you and Jesus has made a place for those you have loved dearly who are not with you this morning. Our flowers remind us of 52 mothers and fathers, wives and husbands, sons and daughters, whom we have laid in a tomb. Do you think the assurance of resurrection means everything to us? Without a doubt, it does. He is risen. The Lord has risen indeed. Amen? Amen.